As you're finding your seats, you can open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one on the floor somewhere around you. Also, the passage will be on the screen. And um, it is, yeah, it is a joy every single week to be able to witness um, the community that God is building, that, that, that church is more than just uh, a meeting that you attend. It's a people that you belong to. And so that you, either if you are part of this family or you're looking in to be part of a family, um, we are absolutely delighted that you're here. And as Aaron mentioned earlier, we are returning. A, a number of our leaders are here this morning. Some stayed behind in Houston. And we just had a wonderful time with uh, our Advance Network family church partners. There were leaders from four churches around the central region of the United States, some in Houston, some in St. Louis, some in small towns in between. Um, and the vision that, that we commonly share is a vision of Jesus and his love and his passion for the church. Like, if there's anything that Jesus is most passionate about and most committed to in all the world, it's his body becoming his body and spreading hope and joy to the world. Um, but if you've not been under a rock somewhere, I mean, that's been a challenge over the last couple of years. And we're all giving ourselves to this task of what does it mean to be the people of God in this moment, in this time, and this space? And so just began to think and dream and pray um, for all of the neighborhoods that are around us and for our city to be filled with the joy of the Lord. I mean, what, what more could we ask for than to see this city um, full of just a vision for who God is? And that's, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. But there were so many people, so many conversations that people want to know about you. Um, how are you doing? They, they, the, that's the common question that I received. How's the church doing? And just to be able to say in this season, although it's been difficult God is doing something beautiful in our midst. That's, that's been the emphasis. And so we are so grateful that you're here. So we're going to continue our series in Mark chapter 9. Now I want to begin with a small story from an artist named Makato Fujimara. Now, if I didn't get that right, I apologize to Mr. Fujimara. All right, he says, As a newlywed couple, my wife and I began our journey with very little. He says, after Judy and I got married in the summer of 1983, after college we moved to Connecticut for Judy to pursue her master's degree in marriage counseling. I taught at a special education school and painted at home. We had a tight budget and often had to ration our food. And he says in parentheses, lots of tuna cans. I don't know if you've ever been there. Just, just to be able to, yeah, absolutely. For, for most people, that's ramen noodles. I mean, I'm not a big fan of canned tuna, I'm going to be honest, but I, I totally get it. Um, one evening, I sat alone waiting for Judy to come home to our small apartment, worried about how we were going to afford the rent and to pay for the necessities over the weekend. Our refrigerator was completely empty, and I had no cash left. Then Judy walks in with a bouquet of flowers, and I got really upset. How could you even think of buying flowers today? We can't even afford to eat, I remember saying, frustrated. 
Judy's reply has been etched in my heart for over 30 years now. She said, we need to feed our souls too, right? So what she's saying is that no matter how tight the situation, no matter how dark or no matter how dire your circumstances, in that moment, our souls are made to encounter beauty. There's something about how we are made and how we are wired that especially in times of difficulty and suffering that our souls are made to lock on to something that's beautiful and transcends our circumstances. So if you are here and you're going through any kind of difficulty, this passage is meant to give you a vision of something bigger and better that transcends your circumstances that's beautiful. Last week we looked at Mark chapter 8 and we saw at the end of Mark chapter 8 that this call to follow Jesus was a call to follow him down the road of suffering. Now, the only way that we can provide life-giving love to the world is not only by beholding Jesus on the road of suffering, but simultaneously we need to encounter something of his beauty and his glory that will sustain us along the way. So the big idea that we're going to look at this morning is that kingdom discipleship requires both a view and a vision of Christ's suffering and his glory. So last week we looked at his suffering. This week we have a chance to encounter his glory. So we're going to look first of all at Mark chapter 9. I'm going to read verses nine or 1 through 13. And he said to them, and that's Jesus, Truly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, is it good that we're here? Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one of what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? 
But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? So as we begin to peer up this mountain and this vision of your glory, we are both intrigued and terrified. We both are aware of a a desire to understand who you are as God, but also um, just the reality that our souls grow dull and they grow full of other things. And so I pray that you would remove all spiritual blinders here today, that we would see what we're meant to see as we travel up this mountain, that you would surround us with your presence and we would hear your voice calling clearly to us. So just as the word that came forth this morning, that we would open the gifts that you have wrapped and prepared for us by name. Thank you for loving and calling each of us your children. In Jesus' name, amen. So there are only a few places in all of Scripture where we get glimpses of God or Jesus in His glory. And so it's important that we don't brush by those too quickly. There's only a few places in Scripture where the veil is pulled back and you can see Jesus as He is in His fullness. In every place in Scripture where people encounter the glory of God, their lives and their souls are markedly different as a result. And so today is about us slowly going up this same mountain that they went up, and then we're going to take a journey down the mountain. So we're going to take little snapshots of each um, element that's represented in this vision and see what they mean for our own life and discipleship. The first is the mountain itself. The mountain is an invitation to behold. Discipleship, if it's anything, is a series of encounters of beholding the glory of the Lord. Now, you could imagine what the Christian life would be like if we didn't have occasional glimpses that the life that we are living for right now or living in is connected to something greater, right? We always have a need to lift our eyes and our perspective off of our current circumstances, off of our current feeling, and and God invites us to this all-access pass to see the glory of Jesus. And in a world that's filled with noise and anxiety and busyness and people longing for meaning and purpose, there's nothing that we need more than to see Jesus as he is, right? This is a continuation of the, the blind man that was healed twice. They couldn't see clearly that Jesus needed to suffer, but the disciples also needed to see that Jesus is absolutely glorious and beautiful and able to sustain them through every trial and every storm. Now, there's no greater gift than slowing down and beholding. Beholding is, is more than a quick glance, um, I'll use this as an example because um, we just went to this conference and um, I had the privilege of speaking at one of the breakout sessions. And so normally when I do that, I, I just take all my keys and my wallet and I just kind of dump them somewhere. 
and I was in this room, and uh, I was, we had lunch reservations, and we had a rental car, and a lot of people were going with us, and I was frantically looking for my keys after the talk and my phone, and I was trying to use my watch to see if I could make it ping, and I couldn't find it, and I was in a panic, and uh, I had to, this, this happens all the time, by the way. So my wife, she's like, well, just let me look in your bag, and she looks, and of course, she finds it. You know, I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> you don't need my level of detail here. Like, it's, it's, this passage is worth slowing down and beholding. Now listen, God will feed you and sustain you with occasional glances. But to be able to flourish as disciples in the kingdom of God and walk the road of suffering, we need long looks at the king of glory. Now, the mountain, all throughout Scripture, is a place of invitation, and it's a place of revelation. Um, this most likely was um, Mount Horeb, that is right outside of Caesarea Philippi. And all throughout Scripture, God speaks to His people on tops of mountains. So I just want to take you through a little bit of Scripture. Abraham on top of Mount Moriah, was about to sacrifice Isaac. And an angel of the Lord appears to him and provides a lamb. That moment of revelation was that God himself would provide a sacrifice for his people. Fast forward about 1,000 or 1,500 years, and you come in contact with a man named Moses who goes up Mount Sinai, where he receives the law and the tablets of God that are written with the very finger of God. And he comes down and his face is so glorious that people cannot look at him. Now, most of the time when I think about God's law, I think of scary. But over the last few years, God's kind of just shifted my paradigm. Like the law, I mean, God is so different and so holy and so other um, but he wanted to make a way that we would live in right relationship with him. And he ultimately ended up sending a law fulfiller in Jesus. But the Mount Sinai was a place of encounter and a place of revelation. Elijah, in a season of exhaustion, which so many of us can identify, including myself, climbed up Mount Carmel after defeating the prophets of Baal. And God whispered to his soul who he was and his plans for the kingdom that they would not fail. And just as we were in worship this morning, I mean, this is all throughout Scripture. God quickened Isaiah 40. On top of a mountain, he calls Isaiah. He says this. He says, I want you to go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God, right? So God speaks to his people on the mountaintop. And what I want you to know is that God invites you personally to this mountaintop this morning as an opportunity to behold. Now, what I want you to, to pick up on, though, if you've been following along with us in any way, is that it was not the disciples' strength that secured the invitation up the mountain. This actually just came on the tail end of one of the greatest discipleship failures in all of Scripture. I mean, 
Jesus actually calls Peter Satan because he didn't understand that he was going to have to go to the cross, right? But still, that didn't stop Jesus from inviting Peter, James, and John to the top of this mountain. Uh, Another invitation, uh, this scripture has been on my mind, so I'm going to share it with you from uh, Psalm 24. It says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Because, listen, if all, in the Old Testament, if you even went up to the mountain, I mean, a- animals were, were going to be put to death. I mean, there, there was a terror attached. So, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So how do we ascend the hill of the Lord? How do we ascend this mountain? The reason that you can go up and the reason that you can behold is because Jesus was on his way to another mountain or another hill. And it was the hill called Calvary so that he could take away all of our sin, all of our shames, anything that would disqualify us to give us clean hands because none of us have clean hands on our own. So we get to now, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, what he was on his way to do, we get to behold the glory of the Lord. So why do you think Jesus has invited you to gaze at this mountain this morning. What does he have personally for you? Beholding in scripture leads to becoming. 2 Corinthians 3.18, which is one of my favorite verses on transformation. It says, everyone that beholds the glory of the Lord, and it kind of goes on in chapter 4 to talk about the glory of the Lord being in the face of Jesus, is transformed from one degree of glory to another. So as we behold Jesus, we get to encounter him as he is, and we are transformed, right? So if there's something that is besetting to you or nagging or a place that you're looking for growth and change, this is an opportunity to encounter his glory. Now, I love Peter in these situations because he's not afraid to lead out. I mean, he basically says, um, I don't know. Jesus is here. I mean, he is wider than anything that we've ever seen on earth. And looks like Moses isn't here and Elijah's here. So I've got it. Let's make three tents. And that literally means three tabernacles. And that's what people did um, in the Old Testament. When there was a place where heaven met earth, they made a tent or a tabernacle. They wanted to mark the spot. And what's beautiful about this is that now, because of what Jesus has done, because he's ascended a hill called Calvary, um, the temple is no longer bound to geographical locations where heaven meets earth. We collectively, and I think we always need to remind ourselves, are the temple, not just us individually, we'll talk about that, but listen, we as the people of God are the temple, right? 
There's something different that happens, and, and I always want to call us back to the value of gathering together because something different happens when we're together than when we're alone, right? You actually get to receive different gifts from different parts of the body. But the presence of the Lord dwells with us because we're his temple. But then individually, <laughs> I mean, this is amazing that, that God no longer dwells in temples made by human hands, but he gets to dwell in you and I, and we're the temple, and we have his spirit, right? That's what this mountain is all about. Not that we have to go up to a mountain anymore, but God came down the mountain so that we can encounter him. And so I think it's important for us to take times and seasons to behold the glory of the Lord. Now listen, not every time that you encounter God through Scripture is there going to be fireworks. But listen, sometimes there should be fireworks, right? Sometimes you should have an experience like they're having where you are undone. And I wonder in this season... If all of the things are not getting stripped away so we can say, listen, that doesn't satisfy and that doesn't satisfy. And it's okay to come now spiritually hungry saying, I need to behold the glory of the Lord. Open my eyes so that I can see. The next invitation that we receive is from the witnesses on this mountain. This is an invitation to listen. So the first witnesses we encounter are Moses and Elijah. They represent the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. And basically what they represent in this passage is that Jesus is the one to whom all the scriptures have been pointing. All of the promises of God that you read about in this book find their yes and their amen and their fulfillment in Jesus. Right? Everything that the people of God have been waiting for or anticipating, even though they didn't get it all right all the time, Jesus is the fulfillment. And so, um, just in the words of the Jesus Storybook Bible, wh what we have a chance to do is learn to read our Bibles differently. Every story, every passage whispers his name, right? The God of the Old Testament is not different than the God of the New Testament. This is one continuous story where God's grace is on full display. So these witnesses, Moses and Elijah, were talking to Jesus. Almost certainly they were encouraging him on his way to the cross. I mean, I mean just imagine this is someone that's both fully God and fully man, but he needed encouragement to be able to take up his cross. So how much more do we need encouragement? But not only does he get encouragement from Moses and Elijah, there's another witness and another voice in this passage. There's a cloud that says loudly, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Right? The voice of God the Father comes out of the cloud, affirming who Jesus is and telling all of us we need to pay close attention. Right? Listen to him. So we want to have eyes and hear, ears and hearts that are attuned to his voice. Now, I have two sons that are playing football right now, uh, one in ninth grade and one in sixth grade. And it doesn't matter where I am in the stadium, their minds and their hearts are attuned to my voice. 
so-and-so, if I cheer them on or encourage them, or uh, sometimes if I'm impatient and I correct them, my voice is the loudest voice they hear. The reason that this passage is in the Bible, first is to encourage Jesus on his road um, as he takes up his cross, but it also is a mark of the identity of the people of God that is meant to encourage us as we pick up our crosses and follow him. Because listen, we are identified with Jesus. We are in Christ. What is true of him is true of us, and we need to hear God's voice, especially in times of difficulty and failure and suffering, saying, listen, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. In you, I am well pleased. Right? So when's the last time you heard the voice of the father affirming you and speaking over you? That's his invitation. Because of what Jesus has done, he rejoices over who you are. So this is an invitation to listen. And then what I think about this account that is most mind-blowing is the cloud. The cloud is an invitation to encounter. This is God revealing himself. He's not hiding. The cloud in the Old Testament was um, the presence of God. So if you had a pillar of fire by night or a cloud by day, this isn't a little storm cloud, but this represents the very presence of God. And, and what we're going to learn is that this presence of God is not meant to, um, it's no longer meant to repel or cause people fear or doubt, but it's an invitation we find out in the book of Hebrews to draw near. Tim Keller, in his book King's Cross, when he's commenting on this passage, says this. He says, James, Peter, and John have experienced worship. Worship is a preview of the things that all of our hearts are longing for, whether we know it or not. Worship is not just believing. Before they went up the mountain, Peter, James, and John already believed in God, and Peter had already said, you are the Christ, but now they sensed it. The presence of God has enveloped them. They have had a foretaste of what C.S. Lewis says all of us are longing for, the very face and the embrace of God. So, one of the primary reasons that we gather and the reason that we sing songs like Fresh Wind is because we are made to be a people of encounter, right? If this is just a book of disconnected religious facts, then everyone in this room is wasting their time. But if these are the living words of God and his presence really does dwell among us, they are the most rich and the most faithful. And so he invites us to peer up this mountain to encounter him as he is. And I know, I don't know what tradition most of you come from, but, but uh, you know, th- it doesn't seem like a lot of people that I encounter have this theology of God's presence. That he's near and he's active among us. His presence represents him as a person. And so when you sense that he's near, he's wanting to minister to you or minister through you or build you up or encourage you. 
And what we're trying to do when we sing songs or listen to sermons is to seek and to go hard after God. We're not just reminding ourselves about truth, but we're actually encountering a person, right? It would be different, like, so I'll just use my wife as an example. Like, um, if, if I went to, uh, on a date with her to the nicest restaurant that we could afford, and I just talked about her, but I didn't talk to her, there would be some major disconnects, right? <laughs> but listen, most worship services go off like that, right? I mean, we, we talk about God, we read His Word, but like God's like, I, I'm, I'm waiting to be wanted, right? I, I'm waiting to be invited, and this mountain is an invitation to His presence. So the reason that we spend so much time singing is because we want the glory of God to fall in our midst. Right? The only way that this city has any hope or any joy is a people that are saturated by his presence. That's why in the Old Testament, um, Moses says, if your presence does not go with me from this place, I don't want to go anywhere. And we should be the same. We cannot go out into our workplaces or be students on the campus apart from an encounter with a person. So this is an invitation to experience the presence of God. And we, as the people of God, have bold access because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Now all of this the disciples did not understand. Look at verses 9 through 13. And I get why they don't get it. <laughs> this is not natural. Verse 9 says, as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one of what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things, and how it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And so, I don't know if you've ever been, if you've ever taken a class, um, and you try to ask a question to sound smart. Have you ever done that? I've done that a lot. Like, you don't know, understand what they're saying, but you kind of want them to know that you're tracking with me. Um, I fell asleep in one of my seminary classes, and there's a teacher named Jerry Bridges, who's one of my heroes of the faith. He's gone home to be with Jesus, and I, I fell asleep during Jerry Bridges, um, so I've lost my reward. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I woke up, and I asked him a question, um, and, you know, he spoke in a lot of language that I didn't understand, and I just was always deferring to the fact that I was from Arkansas, and uh, <laughs> Um, but I, I asked a question that he had just covered in the lecture, and he's like, you're not paying attention, are you? <laughs> right? That's a little bit of what Peter's doing here. He's like, I, I, I think that was Elijah that was on the mountain, and I think Jesus was there. So he's like, well, why do people say that Elijah must come? I think there's something in here in the Old Testament about Elijah coming before the Messiah, and Jesus uses this as... Um, an invitation to tell them that Elijah had already come. And you can kind of see a clearer picture of this in, in the Gospel of Matthew. When we're talking about Elijah, we're talking about the spirit of Elijah that's come through John the Baptist. Um, but what more than this, um, 
this, this idea that the disciples didn't understand until the resurrection was that this mountain was now going to be a, a normative experience for the people of God. Like that we could peer into the cloud. We could go up the mountain. It says they, they received understanding after Jesus was raised from the dead. So what we see in the first part of chapter 9 is coming like a movie preview, you know? Uh, it, it tells you what it's going to be like and what shape it's going to take. And sometimes <laughs> the preview is better than the actual movie itself. But for the people of God, this is just the beginning. Like this is an invitation to go deeper. So they go down the mountain. And the truth is you can't live on the mountaintop forever. You know? Um, but I'm telling you. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm with Peter. I mean, I would have liked to hang out on that place and just gaze upon his beauty and encounter him. But they have to go down the mountain. And I actually have more this morning than I normally would do. So I'll, we'll, we'll do down the mountain next week. I think today is just about encounter. I think that's the word of the Lord for us. I think that's... That's what he wants us to do, to encounter his very presence. So I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come up. And we're just going to pray. And uh, one of the things that, that we learned at the conference, sometimes the, the posture of your body can help you encounter. Um, scripture is filled with, um, if, if, if you need your heart to be humbled, people kneel. If you need a sense of expectancy or receiving people lift their hands it's not to draw attention to themselves but it's just hey i, I want to receive and so you don't have to do that but if that's what you want i mean your body can help lift your heart if if you're downcast and you've been sad or depressed it helps to lift up your head and to lift up your eyes that's what psalm 24 says when we lift up our heads the king of glory comes in so that's what we're going to do we're just going to um, take some time i'm going to pray for us and then they're going to lead us in some songs and we're just going to Try to encounter the Lord in his goodness. Lord, we love you. We thank you for an invitation up the mountain. Thank you that you love us so much that you sent Jesus up another hill so that we can know you, not just know about you. I pray that your spirit would come in these moments to refresh us, to encourage us. For those that are going through real trials, that you would bring relief. For those that are asking real questions, I pray that you would become the answer. For everyone, I pray that we would live together as your people, as your temple, as your body. And that we would be hope and good news to the world. But we can't do that apart from a real experience of you. So we invite you to come and to manifest your presence among us. We take you up on your offer that we can draw near to you. We love to sing songs to you. We love to sing songs about you. But more, more than anything, we want to express our hearts and our lives to you. So I pray that you would bring a sense of refreshment, a sense of encounter, a sense of joy. And I pray that you would equip us for all the good works that you have for us. For those that maybe don't yet believe, I pray that you would give a vision of Jesus that would bring salvation, that would help turn away from brokenness and sin to encounter you as you are and experience real life. For those of us that have been walking with you for a while and we just haven't had the time or made the time to take deep, long looks at you, I pray 
that you would give us a foretaste of what you have for us throughout our week. In Jesus' name, amen.